Mandy Yakich from Creative Matters, and you're listening to Creative Matters On Air, where I have conversations with new and established artists from around New Zealand. I love to listen to artists' stories and learn about their creative process, and maybe you do too, which is why I've made this podcast, to inspire, inform and educate. I hope you can take away something positive and encouraging from each of these amazing stories to help you on your own creative journey. Hi and welcome to Creative Matters. Thank you very much for joining me. Today we are talking with Kate Hursthouse. Kate is a New Zealand artist, illustrator, creative entrepreneur and mother of one living in Te Atatū Peninsula, Aotearoa, New Zealand. She is on a mission to help women find their own place of joy and calm through colour and creativity. Kate has a background in architecture and design and has been running her creative business since 2014. Her work has taken a number of forms over the years, from contemporary artworks, calligraphy and commercial illustrations, to an illustrated children's book, colourful abstract paintings and large-scale hand-painted murals. Kate is currently working on The Colourful World of Kate, a suite of online art courses brought to you from inside Kate's studio into the sanctuary she has within her studio walls, which is full of colour and play. Kate believes art and colour is therapeutic and good for the soul, and creating has helped her through some of the most challenging years of her life. 2022 also saw Kate dive into the whole new world of podcasting, The Creative Mother podcast features interviews with creative women from a range of professions who are also mothers. Artists, designers, musicians, filmmakers, fashion designers and other creative mums talk to Kate about the impact of motherhood on their creativity and business. Kate talks about the development of her small creative business and all the things she's learned as a business owner. She talks about her development from architecture to design and illustration through to her current abstract painting practice, how she got to be the host of her very own podcast, and her philosophies on how changes in circumstances are there to feed change to your perspective and to keep you learning. The link to the Creative Mother podcast, other relevant links and images of her gorgeous work can be found on her podcast episode blog post, which you can find on our website, on our website creativematters.co.nz and you can also check out her website katehursthouse.com. Hi Kate, welcome to Creative Matters. Thank you for having me, it's great to be here. Oh, it's so nice to see you and nice to meet you and as we said, it feels like we already know each other from our sort of social media connections. I know, but it's so great when you get to meet someone in person. Yeah, it really is. So um, yeah, welcome, it's lovely to have you here. So Kate, um, as we always do, can we go all the way back to your childhood please and can you describe Kate as a little girl? Of course. So I grew up um, on the North Shore of Auckland and I was the eldest of three and I've from what I've been told I was as a strong-willed child um, but I, I believe that I always loved creating. Uh, I recently cleared out my parents' my wardrobe at my parents' house and I found all these, you know, paintings from primary school and then invitations that I created to birthday parties when I was a kid and this um, program from my intermediate school play that I got to, you know, draw the pictures and 
um, create the program. So I think I was always very creative. I loved drawing. It was kind of what I did. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. And uh, were your parents creative people? No, I come from a medical family. Yeah. So dad's a doctor, mum's an orthodontist, um, my sister's a dietitian. My brother is very creative. He's, um, but also quite, uh, I guess, science-based as well. Um, yeah. So I'm sort of a little bit like feel like the odd duck sometimes. <laughs> You're the creative quirky yeah. one. Yeah. I know that feeling. I'm not medically minded. I, yeah. So... Yeah, not me. <laughs> oh, that's good. You're you're waving the creative flag for yeah. the family. <laughs> but my I have grandparents on both sides that were very creative. My my mum's mum was a watercolor artist and she used to retouch photos and turn black and white photos in, into color and my grandfather was a photographer and um yeah, great great grandparents who are also very creative mm. as well. So there are creative streaks there, just not in yeah. my sort of immediate family. <laughs> it's in the blood somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I have read that you found your um, the art department at high school a, a happy space for you. Yeah, honestly, I think I remember intermediate and high school, it was just my favourite class. And particularly in high school, once you kind of, be- it became like, I guess fifth form, is that showing my age? (laughs) Fifth form onwards, um, you know, when you were sort of taking it more seriously. And that's all I really wanted to do was paint and be in the art room. And the teachers were my favourite teachers because they just let you come in at lunchtime when it was raining and paint. They were just happy for you to be there. So, yeah. yeah. Something great about art teachers. Oh, they're amazing, amazing people. So from high school, uh, did you take your art into your career or what happened then? So somewhere towards the end of high school, I guess when you're 17, 18 and all of a sudden, you know, everyone starts telling you you need to decide what you're going to do for the rest of your life. um, I ended up going down the path of architecture school, going towards architecture school. I'm kind of foggy on how this happened. I don't ever recall anyone at my high school being like, graphic design as a career you could do or illustration like that was never suggested as like a feasible career and then arts degrees were kind of like you know well they're not very practical and you're not going to make any money and um yeah so I ended up in architecture because I guess that seemed like it was art but also practical uh but I I really didn't love it I went to uni tech I I think I knew in second year that I wanted to leave. Um, architecture school was quite, it was quite conceptual and you could, you got to produce these, you know, lovely designs and presentations. And I was, I think that's the bit I enjoyed the most was designing the presentations and um, the actual architecture, like how things went together side of it. I wasn't particularly interested in um, the classes on, you know, air conditioning and structure. I was like, Oh this is not for me, um, but very much felt like I had to see that five-year degree out to the end, mm. uh, so I did, and then graduated into the recession. So I had been working as a student architect and got laid off from that job, and oh, wow. um, I went snowboarding in Canada instead, <laughs> and then still felt like I should do something with it, and I had friends from architecture school who had gone to Australia, which seemed to ride out the recession a bit better. So I went there, got a job as an architect. Um, and I hated it so much. Like it was, it was so, um, 
I don't know, it was door schedules and structural engineering and where's the toilet going and what's the plumbing doing? And, you know, it seemed to me that to be creative as an architect wasn't going to happen until you're, you know, much higher up in mm. in the business. Whereas um, with art and drawing and design, I could just kind of go home and draw something for myself and feel like I'd made something. Whereas with architecture, it just felt like you were never going to get to make yeah. something. It's quite a different process, isn't it? Very. And so rule focused, you know, there's so many structural codes and what you can and cannot do. Yeah. And and also working to a brief, I suppose. Yeah, working to a brief. It's and different. Part, I look, like looking back, there's a lot of stuff that working as an architect really helped me in terms of a business, mm. um, kind of the business side of things. But I, yeah, I didn't enjoy it. And I found it to be an incredibly sexist environment. So it was... It was not fun, but it, part of me didn't know any better. Like it seemed like, yeah, this is what you were meant to do. Like mm. you've studied, you're meant to do this, you're meant to start at the bottom and work your way up. But I don't think you're meant to hate every step of yeah. that working your way up. No, yeah. absolutely not. So yeah. what did you do about that situation? <laughs> so after about three years, I was like, I really, really do not want to do this as a job. I think it was quite unhappy. Um, I started doing night classes in Melbourne where I was living at the time, just drawing, watercolour, things like that. I hadn't picked up a pencil in like three years, four years maybe, because um, with architecture everything we did was on the computer pretty yeah. much. And uh, I just really loved it. And I was like, I love this so much. This is what I want to be doing. This is what it used to be like in high school. And so I kind of looked into uh, going back to study again and again, going back to art school still didn't seem like the practical thing to do. It was so I ended up doing graphic design and illustration. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? That sort of attitude that we all have about, you know, what's practical and what you yeah. should be studying. I mean, did you think a fine arts degree would be what you'd actually love to do? Um, well, I just, I, I don't know. Like looking back now, I'm like, I should definitely have gone to art school. Like I would have thrived there. I would have mm. loved it. Uh, I and I, I mean, there's certain elements of it's both architecture, design school, and art school where you're not taught the business stuff. But if they, if you went to art school and you also went to business school at the same time, yeah, it'd, it'd be great. That'd be a great combination. Yeah, I mean, Rather surely than, they do, um, you know, courses or sort of papers on business. You'd think. You'd think I. From what I understand at, at the art school, it, that doesn't seem very common. Mm. We did a few in architecture school and then obviously working in an architecture business, you mm. kind of got the idea, um, but very limited. So, yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, with people going to art school, artists, you know, they that's a big part of the business. Yeah. And it's a big part that some artists, a lot of artists aren't that interested in so yeah. or maybe don't have experience in. So it's, it's yeah. tricky, isn't it? It is. But I think if you want to sell your work, you yeah, got to have an understanding it. of business because mm. that's what it is. Yeah. That, that transaction is business. Yeah. So I'm so, very interested in the business side of things. Yeah, well, now. you can see that. Yeah. You're obviously, <laughs> you obviously have taken to the business side like a yeah. duck to water, which is good. <laughs> so uh, you went to design school, um, design and illustration. Yeah, it was um, just one year, post-grad diploma in design and illustration. Really enjoyed it. Really loved drawing. Um, moved back to New Zealand and got a job doing, I guess it's like corporate graphic design in an office, um, working on a lot of branding projects and, you know, design collateral brochures and pamphlets for whatever clients the company brought in. And that was fine. Um, I was doing 
during design school was when I discovered calligraphy and hand lettering. Mm-hmm. And so I I had started doing that um, at night school, again, just on the side, always wanting some other sort of creative outlet to my job. Mm. And uh, I would just practice that on the side and then slowly kind of started sharing that on social media. I actually didn't have social media for quite a long time until someone was like, you know, if you want people to find you and find your work, you need to be on social media because no one's going to come and find you drawing in your bedroom. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately. Yeah. So I joined, I feel like I joined it kind of late-ish and um, yeah, I was doing that a lot. I tried to tie that a lot. It influenced the design work and um, I'd freelance on the side and um, yeah, kept learning calligraphy. And then in 2014, I went to Italy. So I'd booked a trip to Italy, left my graphic design job, went to Italy and um, found this calligrapher called Monica Dingo. She's an Italian calligrapher. She's in Arezzo, Tuscany, and she was doing a week-long calligraphy workshop. And it was all on abstract calligraphy, which really interested me. Like, it sparked a real interest in me. So, yeah, I went and spent a week with her, and it was, like, in this beautiful studio. There was, like, you know, Renaissance frescoes on the ceiling. Oh, my gosh. We How ate, amazing. Yeah, we ate Italian pastries and oh. – it was great. That sounds incredible. And how did you track her down? I literally think I just Googled calligraphy in Italy because I was just interested about what might be there when I was over there. Was there anything going on? Were there any exhibitions? And yeah, I came across this mm. these workshops that she runs and she still runs them. And I've done another one with her in Japan, which I went to when I'm my first trimester <laughs> when I was pregnant. Oh, wow. So I couldn't eat sushi. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, uh, and I've done two online ones with her now yeah, as well. That's which incredible. she moved online during COVID. So oh, wow. So she really inspired you obviously. Yeah, she her work is beautiful. She's um, you know, traditionally tra- um trained and but then she just has this beautiful way of abstracting calligraphy. So it almost becomes abstract art and it's not letter forms Mm. and that really interested me it's like Mm. breaking all the rules interested me Mm. and how does she actually use that um that practice does she you know what does her art look like um she well she teaches a lot of workshops so that's a big part of her business but she also does um stuff with books and publications and she's done some beautiful things in italy uh, I just remember one book she had in her studio, which was, seemed, I think it was a collaboration with a photographer, where there was photography and then her calligraphy over the top and mm. but kind of, yeah, it was, I think, a dancer. So had this kind of beautiful flowing feel. And oh, wow. yeah, I think she sells artworks. And So is it, um, is that sort of abstract calligraphy, if you could describe it, is it like a, a sort of, it's based on traditional calligraphy forms yeah it's i guess it's based on your letter forms so you're kind of taking the letter forms and then you are stretching them and squishing them and bending them and kind of seeing how far you can push a letter form until it no longer resembles a letter form and it's combining thin letters with thick letters and um, using different tools so when i was doing her workshop i learned how to make um she calls it, they're called like cola pens or rolling pens, which they get the name cola pen because some people make them out of cola cans, but she'd make them out of like aluminium printing plate and they, you know, you dip them in ink. So that was also my real love of ink came through calligraphy as well. I love how um, fluid it is and mm. how it just kind of moves on the page. And 
yeah, so these pens you can kind of manipulate so you get really thick strokes and really thin strokes and yeah, she has all sorts of just ways of looking at the different letters and um, mm. th- yeah, thick letters, thin letters, contrasting letters and kind of creating patterns and texture mm. out of letters and sentences. Mm, and, amazing. Yeah. Wow. That yeah. sounds incredible. I'll put that link to her yeah. um, on your blog post. Yeah, so what do you think, you know, what was it about calligraphy and lettering in general that sort of fascinated you, do you think? I kind of liked the idea that you were illustrating language in a way you could take a word or a phrase and you could evoke a different feeling through how it looked. Um, And that kind of worked when I was doing it, I guess in a commercial sense, um, you know, for an advertising campaign or yeah, something that required lettering, you'd, whatever the brief was, you could create the lettering to fit that style. Yeah. 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 So cool. And it's kind of telling a story. Yeah. From the style and the sort of movement within, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So when you came back from Italy, um, I mean, obviously you didn't go back to the actual traditional graphic design work or did you? Well, I, so when I was in Italy, I was like, wow, I really just want to work for myself and I want a studio with Renaissance, you know, (laughs) paintings on the ceiling. And so I was like, I, you know, I just had this calling. I was like, I think I have to work for myself. So I kind of came back and I mean, I had no business plan. My dad's always been like, do you have a business plan? I do now, (laughs) but I didn't back then. So I just kind of, um, yeah, just put myself out there. I had, I'd kind of been doing a bit of freelance on the side, um, with my previous graphic design job, Moonlighting. And yeah, I just said yes to pretty much every job that came my way. It didn't really matter what it was. So there was graphic design in there, a lot of bread and butter, did some website design for a while. It was kind of all the skill sets that I'd learned over the years. I was like, yes, I can do that. Yes, I can do that. Um, and then I did a lot of, I'd often do a lot of personal projects to kind of improve my calligraphy and hand lettering, post them on Instagram, someone would see that. At the time, there weren't that many people teaching or doing calligraphy in Auckland or probably possibly even in New Zealand, mm. particularly one with a social media presence. So I think people found me through that because they be- kind of became a big renaissance in calligraphy and now it's hugely popular and it's there's lots of people teaching it and lots of people doing beautiful calligraphy. But at the time, I think I just kind of fell into this gap in the market a little bit. Mm. Yeah. And were you actually doing sort of like public art projects with your lettering? I've done – what have I done? I did, I did murals. I've done murals in people's offices. I've done, you know, campaigns for people like ASB or Zero or um, – you know, Lululemon was another one. Um, I did like in-person calligraphy at Karen Walker and places like that. So it was super varied. Mm, and what it, do you mean by in-person? So we, I did calligraphy on little Karen Walker gift tags at Christmas. So everyone who came in and brought a present could get a gift wrapped and oh, then have a personalized nice. calligraphy, little calligraphy yeah, yen tag. That's awesome. So you obviously, you know, even at the beginning in 2014 of your business, very quickly you were able to kind of use your skills and experience and and start to grow a business that was actually you know you were getting work and you were getting paid and yeah and you were sort of growing your your presence which is pretty amazing yeah and I think part of it was saying yes to everything um but that also I think did lead to a bit of burnout at one stage um but it was 
also a great time to figure out what I really liked working on and what I didn't like working on and who I liked working with and who I didn't like working with. And um, it was a really good way to figure that out. Mm. Yeah. And what were your plans at the, I mean, you said you didn't have a business plan initially, (laughs) which a lot of us didn't, don't. (laughs) yeah, it's only like once you actually learn stuff about business, you're like, oh, actually, I need a plan. Yes. <laughs> so you kind of got to go back. Yeah. But um, what was your goal then? I mean, obviously, you wanted to feel like you were making work that felt creative and sort of more up your street kind of thing. Um, what were you thinking at that time with your business and with your art practice? Where did you think it was actually going to go? I mean, I think in those first few years, so probably – 2015, 16, 17, um, it was just very much wanting to kind of build up that sort of a graphic design illustration focused business. Um, it, I liked really liked the illustration side of it because it involved a lot of drawing and I, I loved the drawing and the hands-on probably more than the graphic design, which ended up being a, a very computer-based. Mm. Um, so it was probably trying to pick up more on those projects. Um, did a few mural projects, which I enjoyed doing, but they, they do take a toll on the body. They're quite full on. Mm. And I don't know, I was kind of just ticking along. I, like I said, I didn't have too much of a plan. And I was back and forth between the United States for a bit because um, my partner at the time was working in film. So I spent a bit of time over there. And I also am a big um advocate for side projects so I was working on a children's book and that was um kind of a way of me just having full creative freedom over something so it was on the so that uh kaleidoscope of butterflies and other such collective nouns I think it has 25 or 26 collective nouns of different animals and the animals and the lettering are kind of done so they the lettering matches the animal mm, in a sense. Yeah, yeah. So it's it such quite, a beautiful book. Thank you. Yeah, it's really cool. And it's, I mean, it was pandan- pandemonium of parrots. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. other crazy Yeah, flamboyants of flamingos. And, Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's such a lovely sort of culmination of, of your, you know, art skills and, and your beautiful lettering. It's all the way through it. Yeah, yeah, and I was using, it was all done by hand in ink and watercolour and I didn't have a iPad I think halfway through creating that book I got an iPad pro and a pencil apple pencil and I think if I did a book it would be completely different the way I did it but so I still have all the original Mm. paintings and so they're all done by watercolor because that watercolor and ink has always been my favorite medium to work in so yeah that's beautiful yeah and what made you decide that you're going to create a book and how did you do it Uh, well (laughs) uh someone I know went to Africa and they came back and they were showing us photos of their trip and they were like did you know that a group of zebra is called a dazzle of zebras and I was like what oh my god that's so cool that's so cool I've never heard that my entire life yeah and it's because when they're together they kind of pull the shimmering dazzle effect which makes them camouflage and then they use that dazzle stripe on submarines and and ships in the war because apparently it makes it yeah dazzling and it's hard to see and so I was like that's so cool and then went down like you know this wormhole of um all the other different collective Mm. nouns and just felt like this need to paint them (laughs) I think that's my thing with side projects someone's like why are you doing it I'm like I just have I have to I feel a need to do it and it's something that sparked your imagination and yeah yeah, which is yeah. so great. And I love that. And it's 
you know, the whole sort of lettering just works so well with that collective noun, especially with dazzle. You know, it's almost like an onomatopoeia mm. of you know, showing the word, but also showing what it does kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Pandan- How did you do the pandemonium of parrots? Um, so there's, it's kind of like the parrots are in a jungle and they're kind of all sitting or around the letters, which are kind of a little bit jungly in these vines. And yeah, some have got their wings open and some, yeah. Mm, such a great book. Yeah. And lots of schools have ordered it, haven't yeah, they? Yeah, yep, schools yeah. and libraries and yeah, it was per, um, published. So it was technically self-published, but through Little Love, which is like the um, offshoot from Mary Egan Publishing. And so they do a lot of artist-led children's books. So mm. yeah. That's great. Yeah. And so did you just start drawing or sort of planning, writing it up, um, and then just kind of researched how to publish yourself? Yeah, pretty much. Amazing. (laughs) Wow, you're such a goer. (laughs) Yeah. I'm one of those people that if I have a project, particularly if it's a side project, I just kind of have to find a way to realize it by Mm. myself. Like it's one of those, I'm not like, I don't want to wait around and for someone to be like, oh, we're going to publish that. I'm like, we'll just publish it myself. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I'm I'm a bit the same actually. I'm not very good at sort of waiting for people to do stuff for me. No. I'd rather just do it. Yeah. Just get it done. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So that's so cool. And then um, you went from there. um, I know you started sort of more of a painting practice. Um. In COVID, so I guess 2020 in lockdown. So yeah. how did that develop? Well, before that, I had my kid. So 2018, I uh, moved out of my studio on Ponsonby and moved, kind of kind of moved everything home in boxes and, um, yeah, had my wee guy Arlo. And, yeah, that was a huge change because before that, you know, I'd just I'd work whenever I wanted and do whatever I wanted and traveled whenever I wanted and, um then yeah had Arlo and it wasn't like that anymore so I big change big change huge change and the first year I I did take on a few little freelance projects ones that particularly appealed to me and I was able to do it because mum was able to to help out that was quite selective Mm. uh, about what I did I would paint I've always painted like on the side or experimented I've done a lot of like abstract calligraphy paintings and artworks um and that's always been yeah kind of the art side of things exhibited in a few group shows and then when I was on maternity leave that was one thing I'd do I'd just kind of dabble every now and then do a little bit of painting just to have something for me came out of maternity leaves picked up a few Um, design illustration contracts and then a few months later we went into the first lockdown and the two big contracts that I'd locked in fell through that was basically like we can't do this anymore and then I don't know if I I mean I feel like marketing budgets kind of got tightened up by companies people that in the past might have been like I want custom hand lettering at that time we're like no we can't afford to do that we don't know what the COVID situation is going to be like Mm. we don't know what's going on and so it was a little bit of just being in lockdown (laughs) having time that was meant to be for work that wasn't happening anymore and just deciding I'm just going to paint um I'm just going to play around there was a there's a challenge an, an Instagram challenge called 36 days of type and I did an alphabet, but it was filling an alphabet with all the abstract and key play that I've been experimenting with. Mm, and that kind of, beautiful. 
grew from that into just painting that because I really liked what was happening. Yeah. And I was like, well, I don't have to do letters all the time. Yeah, that's great. And so I just started doing that on canvases and things. Mm. And it was my absolute like solitude and amongst parenting and a lockdown and things not going particularly well at home. And yeah, so I just started painting. Mm. And then I think it was October that year, I was like, I'm just going to sell these. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> and I'd been using all old canvases that I had lying around. Um, I had a couple of skateboards that I'd had lying around. I just was using random things that whatever were in my studio, whatever I could find yeah. and just paint on it. So it was a very odd mix of things that mm. went up for sale. But yeah, I did that That's and actually great. sold some things. And I was like, okay, okay. cool. <laughs> I'm going to add this to my business. Yeah. I'm like, Brilliant. well, maybe I should just try keep doing this because yeah. this is fun. I really, really love yeah. doing this. And initially, so. were you not seeing it as, as it was going to be part of your business? Was it sort of for you to start with more? I mean, there's always that part of me that's been like, I would love to do this because I've seen other people doing it on Instagram. And I'm like, if they can be an artist, why can I not be an artist? So there was mm. something always that I felt like holding me back. Like, mm. you don't have what it takes or it's not practical enough or there's this, again, just not having enough confidence in myself to be fully like, no, I'm going to do this. Mm. I am an artist. Yeah, I'm an artist. Yeah. So, yeah, just really accepting the fact that I was like, I love this more than anything that I've done. And um, so much of the abstract stuff, I think, has stemmed from that abstract calligraphy. It's mm. just gone beyond <laughs> calligraphy into just abstraction mm. it's like all the shapes and the textures and yeah you yeah. can definitely see the link so um I mean your work is very expressive and quite experimental um with sort of beautiful abstract shape line and form and then that sort of mark making that you bring into it was really beautiful mm. so um, how would you describe oh also actually before you describe it yourself what I see in your work is so much as is, is the color palette and it's really interesting that you have a colour palette of, you know, purples and pinks and blues and then peach seems to come in quite a bit and mm -hmm. red and then sort of accented with black and white and gold and that kind of thing. So um, it's really interesting, first of all, that you have seem to have at the moment that quite limited colour palette, so it would be good for you to talk about that. But also how would you actually describe your painting practice? Yeah, so... I love using ink, which I think stems from calligraphy, um, ink and watercolor, everything that's really, really fluid. And so a lot of the painting is just, it's, I find it super therapeutic, is just getting these really inky, flowy colors. And there's no, I'm not really planning it out. I'm kind of like a little bit of pink here, a little bit of blue here. And then it kind of dries and it does its own thing. And then I might add another layer. So I very much work in layers. Something dries, another layer. Something dries, another layer. And then it kind of gets to a point where I'm like, it needs something more. And that's where I kind of start doing more of the refined detail mark making patterns and things. And some of them are patterns that I've just kind of used over the years from the abstract calligraphy. And then some of them, are, yeah, I just have sketchbooks where I'm just kind of doing patterns and it's repetitive. A lot of it's kind of repetitive. It's like the same line or the same dots. And um, I like that balance between the more structural graphic shapes and the really fluid mm. inky shapes. Yeah. yeah. And it's almost like that sort of semi-accidental um, thing that ink does or that sort of really watery, mm. watery paints, the accidental sort of movement or sort of unintentional, I guess you could say, um, 
and then sort of responding to that. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of it kind of just does it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like I can kind of direct the ink in certain ways, but as soon as it dries, it kind of has a different look altogether mm. and it, it goes through these stages and um yeah, so I have <laughs> I love using bright colors, like or like a lot of colors. I used to work solely in black and white when I first started doing calligraphy and um, hand lettering. So oh, everything wow. was black and white. Then I went through a black and red phase and now it's like all color. Mm. <laughs> and then it was like just experimenting and seeing which color combinations I like the best and which work the best. And then at the moment I'm using a lot of purple because for the first time in my life I'm like, I think I like purple. Yeah. And just I'm quite enjoying that. And again, I think it's just, it's not like – I'm like, this is what I do now. It's like, this is what I'm experimenting with right now because mm. I still feel very new mm. to the art world and doing painting all the time. And I still kind of feel like I'm just f- making it up as I go along. Yeah. And I'm just like, trying to find what works best for me, mm. what fits with me. So, yeah, I'm, at the moment, I'm experimenting with these dreamscapes, which is, you know, making up these like landscapes that don't exist. And Which they're so beautiful. <laughs> they're absolutely gorgeous. I mean, they're just, they're beautiful. And and you really have, even though you say you're a, a sort of beginning, you know, you've just started your art practice in a way, you already have a very um, particular style. It's just, a, it's just evolving. I feel like it's just evolving. It's like loosening up, like from the architecture, which is super rigid, to graphic design, to illustration, to lettering, to abstract calligraphy. It's just, mm. you know. Yeah. I feel like I've come full circle to where I was at high school, where That's I just play with paint yeah, all the time. you're back to what you love, yeah. I guess. It got educated out of me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's so cool that you've you've found what really, you know, gives you so much joy. Yeah. And using all those skills in the past that now are sort of informing your practice. Yeah. So I don't think any of it's wa- you know, wasted, you know. I don't really no. look back and regret. Yeah. It's all, all. It's all been learning curves along the way. It's yeah. just been a very – not a very linear path. <laughs> no, but it's so good. It's such a rich journey that you've been through. Yeah. Yeah. So I wonder where the painting's going to be going from here. I don't know. I just I just feel like I'm making it up as I go. <laughs> yeah, well you're not making it up, you're just letting it flow. Yeah. It's just like Sometimes I, you know, you see artworks and I'm like, oh my God, I love that. I'd love to be able to produce an aesthetic like that. Maybe it's super minimal. I can't seem to do it. You mm. know, it's, it's, I just have to trust what's coming out of me. Yeah. It's yeah. what's coming out of me. Totally. And yeah. it's so genuine and such a sort of, you know, representing you and where you're at at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Which is great. And uh, with your mark making, do you use pens or fine brushes? Uh, it's a mix. So I use everything. Depends what I'm working on. If I'm working on paper, it'll be pencils, paint pens. I also use the ruling pen, the, the calligraphy tool that I talked about as well. Um, and then if it's on canvas, it's usually paint pens, um, and occasionally fine brush. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So beautiful. So, um, you are on a mission to help women find their own place of joy and calm through colour and creativity. Yes. Tell us about <laughs> that. Yeah, so I've had a super challenging few years. I, yeah, obviously, with I mean, everyone has. It's been COVID, let's be honest. Anyone who's been parenting small children during this time is exhausted. Um, but I also had my relationship fall apart due to uh, addiction and mental health. And it was, yeah, it's been awful 
But the one thing that I've been able to control during that time is being able to create and paint. And so I've just found the whole thing to be very therapeutic for me. It was that one place that kind of felt safe and calm and I could kind of create beautiful things. And I think the colours made me feel positive. They made me feel good. When I walk into the studio and I see the colours, I'm like, oh, yeah, they still make me feel good. So I, I still want to use them. Um, and so because I've had that experience of like realizing how therapeutic creating is and creating with your hand is, um, I just kind of want to share that with other people who, you know, even if it's just they're really, really busy and they have corporate jobs and, you know, life is hard because life's hard and it's just to know that they could come and um, or do a, some sort of workshop or do something or some create in some way and it'll it'll bring them calm. Mm. Yeah. And that's so beautiful that you want to pass that on. Yeah. I feel like everyone should be able to experience it it, because I feel very lucky to be able to do something creative as a job. Mm. So, you know, I feel like people should get to experience it as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it really does sort of help in times of, you know, in challenging times, Mm -hmm. just kind of being able to immerse yourself in something creative I think it saves a lot of people in lots of ways. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's truly therapeutic. So, mm. yeah, if I can help anyone else. <laughs> yeah, and feel, I'm sure you yeah. can. And just, you know, from looking at your beautiful work, it's quite inspiring, I'd say, for lots of people. But um, how else are you going about getting people making and creating? Yeah, so since, pretty much since COVID hit I have been trying to figure out how to do my workshops because I used to teach them a lot before Arlo was born um, and it sort of became apparent after having cancelled in-person workshop after cancelled in-person workshop that they needed to go online mm. um, and it was something I wanted to achieve last year but last year was just ridiculous mm. um, personally so it it hasn't happened yet, but um, the vision is, and it's the first workshop is going to launch this month, is The Colourful World of Kate, which is basically bringing people into the studio space, probably digitally at the moment. At some point, I would love to offer in-person workshops in my studio. Um, and so they can experience some of the colour and, you know, learn the techniques and just kind of get immersed in it for a little bit to... Yeah, help them find calm. <laughs> mm, so great. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. And I'm also really passionate about helping um, other female business owners, particularly those who are mums, creative business owners, with the business side of things because I, I get a lot of questions about how the businesses run and that's something that I'm looking at doing as well in the next few months is kind of focusing on the business side of things for people who already are creatives or wanting to make it more than a hobby. Yeah. Yeah. And that's such a valuable thing to be able to offer. And I I feel a bit the same. I have mentored a few people, um, you know, coming into small business, not because I'm an expert, but just because I've experienced Mm. it. And, you know, seven years into a small business, I've, I've learned so much and I've, I've refined so much. And uh, I really love working with people who are, who are into kind of creating their own small business because it takes a certain type of person, I think. Yeah. You know, someone who's really proactive and does a lot of thinking and really has 
big goals and wants to achieve them. Yeah, and are super passionate. Like passionate yeah. people are really great people because, yeah. you know, they have that passion behind them. Mm. And, yeah. And so I see it so often, especially more so now I'm like painting and trying to sell paintings and um, seeing other people trying to sell paintings and realizing how important the business side is of selling art. You know, you can't just paint something and put it up there and expect it to sell. Mm. So, yeah, I've learned so much from running my business um, kind of in the graphic design and illustration capacity and then, yeah, now trying to sell. It's kind of moved from more client-based to product-based, I guess, my business. Yeah. Um, Though I do – I do do the occasional commission and things like that. At the moment, it seems very much selling products rather than selling a service. Yeah, and and selling yeah. your your artwork. Yeah, yeah. And what uh, would you say to to somebody start or thinking about starting up small business, a creative small business? <laughs> Have a business plan. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that business plan. I know. No, I do think that building it up slowly on the side. Um, which quite a few people, you know, who I've talked to, they are all the they're mums who are were in creative professions before and now they're trying to do their own thing. And so it is, yeah, building it up slowly on the side um can be good. Really I think really believing in yourself because if you don't believe in what you're putting out there like no one else is gonna believe in it. So that's really key. And I think it's so much of it is having to show up and sell yourself in a way which is can be quite uncomfortable for creatives but just um I guess it's just like the world needs more creativity so by showing up and show you know telling people about what you're creating it's only a great thing yeah you know it's people need to see more of that and people want to see more of that and people love seeing behind the scenes stuff and I think it's just start talking about what you're creating mm on a regular basis. Yeah, and yeah. building that brand. Yeah. And build an emailing an email list. Yeah. As well. Yeah. Yeah. So then you important. can email people about what you're doing and yeah. 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 And building that um that loyal audience is, mm. is really important. Yeah. Yeah. And I I mean it's interesting you say sort of building build it slowly and on the side if possible because I did the complete opposite with my business. Uh, I'd done a lot of thinking over the last sort of few years. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of ready in my head yeah um and then I just pretty much jumped off the cliff left my full-time job and thought I'm only going to be able to do this if I am not working yeah because I didn't have any time to do all the work yeah so yeah and and that did work in the end it was a risk and you know we ate lentils for a few months (laughs) (laughs) but not quite but you know it was it was you know we we felt it financially as a couple but you know, I was in a position where, you know, I was ready to do it and I could do it. And it just made me even more determined to make it work. I think that's the thing. Like I have people who are like, I don't know how you do it. And you're like, because I have to, like, this is my job. And now I'm a single mom. I'm like, this is my livelihood. Like this has to work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? That's right. Yeah. There's a lot of determination behind desperately not wanting to go back to a nine to five job. Yeah. That yeah, yeah, keeps me showing up. And believing yeah. in your product. And we were talking earlier about, you know, being passionate about the type of business you're working in. Mm. So that it almost doesn't feel like work. And if you're if you're working in the evening, it's not, you know, too horrific because no. it is actually something that you love to do and something that you're you feel strongly about. Yeah. 
And if you're kind of setting these goals and you and those, you know, if you have to work in the evening and doing that is helping you get closer to the goal, then yeah, it's only good. It's worth yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. It's worth, worth it. all the hard work. And the great thing about your own business is, you know, the more you put into it, the more you get out of it. Yeah. Which exactly. I like. I yeah. like that. It's very rewarding. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. So, um, Kate, this is kind of how we got to know each other, I guess, or started communicating, is that you started a podcast as well, and that's called Creative Mother Podcast, the Creative Mother yes. Podcast. And uh, that's just uh, in the last couple of months it's gone live. So, um, you know, from someone who's started a podcast yeah. <laughs> a year ago, I know what that process is like, and I have lots of admiration for you. So um, I'd love to know why you've chosen to talk to mothers. So I've wanted to do this podcast for three years, basically since I was on maternity leave when Ala was really little, I'd walk all the time, he'd sleep in the pram, I was kind of bored <laughs> in those early, and especially in those, you know, four months to eight months before they start moving and it's, he slept, he was a great sleeper and I, before that, never listened to podcasts and then I found them and um, kind of went... Yeah, I'd just listen to them all the time. It was amazing. You could find anything on marketing and business and motherhood and, um, you know, respectful parenting. And it was just, it was great. And then uh, it was around that time that, you know, I'd, I'd had my kid. I'd realized the challenges of what it's like being a mum, <laughs> running a business and, and being a mum and yeah. um, kind of realizing the, how much a, a child needs you and how how that impacts what well, really impacted my creativity just in terms of feeling like I didn't have the the space um in the time and didn't ever got into like the flow state which you know I always used to and I spoke at typism conference in Gold Coast which is a lettering and design conference and in my talk I talked about how having a kid it changed my perspective on what the work I wanted to be doing and things like that. And after it, I had all these other women who were there who came up and was like, I'm a mom, I'm a designer, I'm a graphic designer. I know exactly. I related so much. And I was like, oh my God, there's all these other mums. It's not just me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was like, there's yeah. all these other mums who are dealing with exactly the same thing. And since then I've continued to connect with all sorts of other creative mothers on Instagram mainly and had conversations in our DMs that I just felt like people needed to hear because I was like, if I feel this way and you feel this way, then there's other mums that feel this way. Mm. And I just wanted to share their stories and totally. yeah. That's also brilliant. saw podcasting as like just a really good way to, to have those stories rather than like a blog interview or something like that. It's mm. I'd rather listen. It seemed as a mum, I'd rather listen than read. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it is. It's it's such a great thing while you're walking and yeah, driving and you know trying yep. to sleep and all those things. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. Congratulations. Thank you. It's, it's a big job, and I, you know, there's a lot you need to learn before you yeah put your mind to it. Yeah, my sister um actually started a podcast, so I wanted to do this start this podcast years ago. Last year was the plan, didn't happen. Um, but my sister, she's a dietitian. She runs a um, all things food podcast and so I was like whoa you've done it you've done what I wanted to do and so then she was great in terms of what mic are you using what software do you use yeah and things like that and I also um, took an uh, an online course with a an, another American girl who teaches people how to start podcasts basically mm. just so 
it was like a step by step, which worked for my tired brain. <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant. Well yeah. done. You know, you've done such a great job. And I've listened to all of the episodes apart from the one that came out today. Yeah. So, and I'm really enjoying them. So, uh, cool. yeah, they're great to listen to. I'm a mum, but my kids are 24 and 25 um, and not living at home. But, you know, I can still really relate to a lot of the stories. And um, they're also really interesting just the way the people talk about their own practices and their mm-hmm. creative careers and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I really totally recommend people check that out. That's the Creative Mother podcast. Yep. And, um, You've done really well with your with your branding and um, and also your funding. I mean, I know that I, like you, thought for a long time about creating a podcast connected to my business, but always kind of thought, I can't really do it because I can't make any money from it. But then I just thought, no, I this is I'm really passionate about this. I want to do it anyway, and I'm sure over time something will happen with the funding. And I really believe that that I'm kind of on a journey and at some point, you know, I'll be able to support the artists who I speak to mm. by paying them, but also pay for my time because, you know, I want to spend more time doing it, but I have to kind of stop myself and think, no, you know, this is not yep. a money-making venture at the moment. I have to be careful. So uh, I know that you went to Boosted for um, some of your initial funding for your setup. So can you tell us about Boosted and what it is and um, how that worked for you? Yeah, so I was similar. So this very much felt like a side project and it got pushed and pushed because I was like, it didn't have any income. It wasn't income generating. Um, Though I have seen how podcasts can generate income and I can see how they can be used as a really great marketing tool. So yeah, Um, but I was in the... Uh, Toy Poto mentoring program and it was through them where they suggested using Boosted as a way to try and raise some funds for the podcast. So Boosted is New Zealand's only crowdfunding platform that solely supports arts projects. It's linked to the Arts Foundation and I've never done a crowdfunding campaign before but um, the Toy Poto program and then Boosted in themselves, they will put you up with a, like a mentor who just, they talk you through all the steps, setting up the campaign, what you need to do, the amount of detail that you need to write um, and yeah, it was really successful. So I kind of just put an amount, I think they say that the average amount that they get funding for is usually around 6000 and so I'd put 7000 and then they also said that it could be quite stressful and that in the middle there'd probably be a plateau, which also hit around um, Easter, Anzac Day and me getting COVID. So it was a, it was a terrible oh, no. timing. Um, so there was a time in the middle there where it was like, oh, my God, I don't think we're going to get to 100% because if you don't get to 100%, you don't get any of the funds. Mm. And so my project had also been selected for the Auckland Arts Comeback where – Auckland Council contributed $2,000 to all of these 25 campaigns that were running on Boosted throughout April. So wow. they they donation matched for the first 2000 So if someone put in 100 it went up by 200 Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, so that was really awesome. Yeah, so that was just a sort of um, a lucky timing thing. It really was. I, I got an email about it um, and it just happened to – the timing just happened to work really well with when I wanted to – do the my campaign so fantastic yeah. yeah and then yeah the support behind it has been amazing like I have had people come out of the woodwork that I just did not even know who followed me who I haven't seen in years who were just like we love what you're doing we love what you post we love this here's a donation and I'm like thank you like mm. yeah and then we released the podcast 
halfway through the campaign. So people have been able to listen to two or three episodes as well while the campaign's running. They've loved the episodes they've donated. So That's yeah. really great. Yeah. yeah, it's good to do that. Oh, I mean, that's amazing. Well yeah, done. so it means now that it can be, yeah, it can happen and that I can work on it and feel like it's part of my job for yeah. the next, yeah, at least for the next two seasons. And, mm, that's yeah. really great. Yeah. And have you got any other ideas for funding in the future? No. I want to use it um, definitely to pull people back towards the courses and stuff I plan to be offering, so kind of use it as a marketing tool in that way. Mm. Um and yeah, but other than that, no. We'll and see. for um, for people listening and who are thinking, oh, this boosted campaign sounds like a good thing for me. Mm. What um what is the criteria for getting that funding? I'm honestly not sure there is a criteria. I think it's like, I think you can get in touch with Boosted and let them know what your project is, and they'll help you um, set it up. So. Yeah, I just think it needs to be a creative project. The The range of projects that was on there over April was was crazy. They had mm. film projects, a fashion project, people um, releasing, wanting to release a single or an EP or things mm. like that. So, That's so good. Yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah, you just have to show up. And it's great for practicing showing up and yeah, um, kind of I guess, selling yourself, talking about a project and because you're having to ask yeah. people for donations. And, and did ask you find that hard, that side of it? Yeah, yes and no. Part of it was I'm so passionate about it and sharing these women's stories that it was like, I was like, you just have to. These stories are great. You know you're going to want to. You're gonna, <laughs> the stories are going to be awesome. So, mm. um, But also, yeah, there is that awkward feeling. And then because I got COVID, the, the energy level was... <laughs> I've had about zero to to get the enthusiasm to ask people to donate. But yeah, it was really, it was interesting. It was an interesting experience. And you made it, you made it to the 7,000, which is so great. We went beyond. We got to 110%. So, yeah. Well done. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. That's very cool. And it's it's a neat thing for people to know about, you know. There's actually quite a lot of things out there in New Zealand that some people don't know about that can actually really help yeah. with projects. And, and Creative New business. Zealand do not fund podcasts, so that was kind of the only avenue. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Oh, well done, that's really cool. So um, commercially, I mean, you seem to me, Kate, such a an incredible entrepreneur. Thank you. <laughs> you are. I mean, you just like, you put your mind to stuff and you make so many different things yeah. happen. You've had, you know, you've got all those amazing skills from your career and then um, in different skills. And then you've also, you just kind of try lots of different things. Mm. Entrepreneurially. Yeah. That's a word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, it's, it's really inspirational to sort of watch your journey and to follow you on social media. Um, so commercially, um, you do seem to be quite comfortable in that space. But um, let's just kind of unpack how that looks for your business. So you sell your paintings as originals mm-hmm. and also as prints. Yep. And how do you do that? Uh, the prints. Both. Uh, so originals, I mean, at the moment, well, the last few collections have all been originals on canvas, um, but sold on my website. And through Instagram, I guess. Uh, Part of it was COVID generated. Like I didn't see any point in trying to find somewhere to exhibit in terms of doing like a show because everything was being COVID cancelled. Also, 
the concept of a solo show makes me feel really anxious. <laughs> and also because I've had way more success selling things online than I ever have in a gallery. Mm. So I have I have very great following. Um not necessarily great in numbers, size of numbers, but in terms of the people who follow my work, they loyal. are loyal and they, yeah, they like what they like what I do, and mm, and they're really engaged. Yeah, so they te- that seems to have been way more successful, and through email marketing as well, my mailing list, um, mm. which has built up over time, and that's I don't, I mean, yeah, I don't know if it's just an outcome of COVID or you know, but also just mum life being single mum and just some just you have to adapt I mm, think that works yeah it works for your product you know for your work yeah and you know you're you seem so good with your social media with Instagram in particular um and Facebook where you you are sharing quite a lot of yourself and you know you've talked about the challenges in the last couple of years through mm. social media which is brave and um you know you've also you're also kind of telling your story and, and we, we're following your journey a little bit, which is nice. And you're definitely out there as a brand, part of the brand is your face and mm. you. And you do lots of videos and um, stuff that some artists might find a bit intimidating. Yeah. So uh, how do you find running <laughs> the old Insta? Yeah, I've I've got a, I've had a love-hate relationship with it over the years, I think. At the moment, I'm kind of not taking it super seriously like I know it's an important part of my business and I know I need to show up consistently but I'm trying to like just get rid of the perfection behind it it's like I don't try not to overthink what I post because it's like people only see it for like sometimes they don't even see it the mm. algorithm's so bad but you know if they do mm. it's maybe a 24-hour cycle I like using stories a lot because people seem to see and engage with them possibly more than they do posts and I'm reels I'm getting a lot more engagement on and mm. Generally speaking, the Instagram reels environment for a long time, I was like, I hate this. Everyone's just dancing and pointing and looking ridiculous. And I'm like, is this what we're going to look back over the years and be like, this is what COVID did to people, you know? Reels is an outcome of COVID. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I've seen, you know, artists are doing reels quite successfully where they, you know, it's a lot of behind the scenes stuff and process stuff. And I kind of just do that and trying to film a lot more and just put it up. Mm. Um, still don't love being in front of the camera, but uh, yeah, I That's do it if great. I have to. Yeah, and you you come across really well. And do you just have a tripod and set up your phone? Yeah, you go? I've got a couple of different tripods so they can kind of just stay in around. One mm. just you know is like a gorilla pod that just moves around with me. Yeah, it's handy. Different angles and it's it's a good thing. It's it's nice to watch people's process. I think it's quite inspirational and motivating. Mm. And you know the backstories are interesting and as we said you know when you post a picture of yourself there's so much more engagement for my business (laughs) which is weird I have no idea why (laughs) don't you value what I'm doing like come on (laughs) yeah it's really strange but you know I think as as you say it's an important part of of running a business especially Mm -hmm. if you're selling online really has to happen and how does your website work uh, so my website, I've just moved to Shopify. It used to be on Squarespace um, and I used Squarespace for like seven years. And then a few other artists I know have recently moved to Shopify. And in terms of integrating with this like boring stuff, New Zealand couriers, like <laughs> this is the boring practical stuff. Yeah. It uh, apparently works a lot better. Really? So that's been a bit of an adjustment, just getting used to the back end, but kind of seems to be working. Mm, that's yeah. good. Yeah. Brilliant. Oh, well done. And uh, you also have lots of different products that you um, 
that you sell. So there's calendars and cards um, and you did some macrame wall hangings with the lovely Amasia from Composed mm-hmm. Confusion. Yep. That is one of her works up there. I was wondering <laughs> that. <laughs> the pink one, which yeah. actually went missing when she sent it to me. Somebody stole it out of the letterbox. It was so gorgeous. Um, but, yeah. So how how do you feel about creating products um, that kind of mirror your painting practice? Yeah, I think they're all. it's all a bit of an experiment at the moment. It's an experiment uh, in what people would like versus what I like. And... Whether it's, you know, a savvy business decision, because um, there's a lot of things you can do that would be really cool, but I don't necessarily think are the best revenue generators, which shouldn't be the be all and end all as to why you create something. But sometimes when you're putting in the effort into making those products, that kind of has to be factored in. Yeah, if it's part of your business, mm. it does have to be profitable. Yeah. But then sometimes you don't know until you try. That's right. Yeah. So yeah. it's like last year, I think the year before I did Christmas baubles, I generally do something around the Christmas time. And then last year was the calendar. And this year I may do another calendar again, but may do some other products that I've had in mind. And it kind of allows people who can't buy an original, or sometimes people can't even afford prints, and it does allow them to access art or have art in their home mm. in a smaller way. Yeah. So I quite like them for Which that reason. Which is nice. Yeah. yeah, that's a good thing. And uh, how do you how do you choose what you're going to create? What sort of product product? Well, I have a whole list of things that I think would be cool. Yeah, and then it's kind of thinking, well, what's going to be good business wise, and what what do you think people would actually like? And it might be a thing where I like actually do a poll on Instagram and see what people mm. would would gel with them. And then it's kind of not about sort of committing and investing in buying a whole lot of product. It's more um, setting it up and then buying on demand kind of thing is that how it works uh depends for the products for prints i do print on demand usually through endemic world but products with the calendars i did a pre-order so at least i knew kind of how many people and then i did a pre-order and then i brought a few extra and then they all sold out oh wow (laughs) and people were like but i wanted a calendar i'm like well you should have brought it in the (laughs) (laughs) pre-order yeah that's a very common problem yeah so um yeah, pre-orders of products, so you kind of you know you can get a gist, um, mm, and then that's idea. what I'm kind of trying to figure out at the moment is how to do it. How to do it, in New Zealand? Is it New Zealand or offshore? How does that work? Mm. Um, yeah, and all of that stuff, like we were saying earlier, it involves so much research and mm. talking to people, and you know, reading stuff online, and um, you know, and sometimes you do go through that process and put all that work into it and then decide actually it's not going to work for me. Yeah. And so it's just kind of working out what's feasible, I guess. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Which takes time and love. Yeah. Yeah, it does. You've got to devote yourself to it and then make some good decisions. And sometimes I found, you know, along the journey, you do you do try something. You think this is going to be great. I think this, I really believe in this. I'm passionate about this. But actually, it doesn't work. Yeah. Or, or you don't manage to sell. And then often, in my case, it's because I haven't marketed it properly. Yeah. You know, like my mentor, my business mentor used to say to me, you're not in the business you think you are in. Mm-hmm. You're in the marketing business. Mm-hmm. And it's so true. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, you can create amazing things. And if you're not marketing. Yeah. Nobody knows. Exactly. It all comes down to business and marketing. Yeah. It doesn't really matter what you're selling. No. Um, yeah. My business coach is the same. She's, and she's like, just because other artists are doing it does not mean it's a good decision to make. So, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You have to find what complex. works for you. Yeah. yeah. 
Oh, there goes the uh, (laughs) rural fire alarm. I'm not sure if you can hear that. But, um, yeah, so, you know, there's so many ins and outs of business. And it's actually really good to talk to someone like you about small business and and the sort of nitty-gritty of small business because, you know, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are considering or or in that journey already. Yeah. You know, of, of small business. So we've um, stopped recording for a second just to let that rural um, fire alarm finish. (laughs) It's pretty full on. Um, So just carrying on with talking about um, your commercial side of things, do you actually do commissions, Kate? Yeah, I do. Um, Select commissions and and not heaps. Uh, I don't know if it's just personal preference or just, yeah, people get in touch. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so they can get yeah. in touch with you through your Instagram if yep. they need to. And um, also you've been interviewed in a beautiful book called Spirit Conversations with Creative Women. Yes. And I have that book and it's right here opened up on your page. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's a really gorgeous book um, written by Janine Wilkinson and photographs by Anne Orman. And um, we've actually I actually interviewed them a while ago for the podcast and they talked about that book. But um, how did you find that experience? It was good. They're lovely. Anne has taken photos of me on a couple of other occasions for um, social media and website stuff. So she's just a gem. She makes you feel so relaxed mm. um, in front of the camera. And, yeah, I, again, that was done. That interview and photographs were done when I was pregnant with Arlo. So I was still in my studio at Studio 122 in Ponsonby. So when the book came out, it was a bit like it seemed so – long ago like <laughs> so and even some in terms of where I was going to be and what I was going to be doing it's like different person you know different different Kate but um they did actually include some pictures from my new studio because Anne had been in to take photos of me yeah since then oh, so yeah it's good. a bit of a mix it's kind of yeah, yeah the before and after yeah well I mean it took a few years to get to publication mm-hmm. yeah which often happens with books yeah but you know that's an amazing um, project to be a part of. Yeah, such yeah. a beautiful celebration of New Zealand woman creatives. Like, what what more could you want? I know, and to be chosen to be part of that yeah. select group is just such an honour. Yeah, I think I met Janine through, I think she did one of my calligraphy workshops. I did think you? that's how we connected. Oh, yeah. Wow. So, Kate, I've read that you feel strongly that changes in circumstances are there to feed change to your perspective and to keep you learning and trying new paths. How has that belief impacted you and the direction your life has taken? Well, I kind of feel like you have no control over absolutely anything that's happening. <laughs> that's what I've come to realize. And I think I was, I grew up as a bit of, you know, perfectionist control freak, needed to, you know, know when things were happening and what was happening. And with everything that's happened to me in the last few years, I'm just. convinced that I have someone else is pulling the strings. You know, I'm not a religious person, but someone else is pulling the strings. So, yeah, I kind of, I mean, you look at COVID and the silver lining and I wouldn't be painting without that. So, you know, out of all these bad things, good things have happened. So I kind of think there's, you got to trust the process. I'm very big on trusting the process at the moment because, I don't know what the outcome is. So I kind yeah. of have to feel like whatever's yeah. happening is taking me somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's such a good philosophy. And yeah, I really believe in that, that you're kind of on the journey and all the stuff that happens along the way mm. is 
part of that journey, negative or positive. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and you are incredibly motivated and proactive. Yes. You know, <laughs> and you make stuff happen, which I really admire. And, you know, you're doing your best to continue doing what you're passionate about as a solo mum and, you know, making sure that Arlo has the right care. And, you know, it's amazing. So what drives you? Oh, um, at the moment, it's like the necessity of living in Auckland and being a single mum and having bills to pay. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much my biggest driver is that I have to make my business sustainable so I can support me and our low long term. Yeah. Um, yes, because, you know, during COVID and, and stuff and even when I went from COVID, COVID started painting thought I'm going to try and paint more and actually make this a thing at that time I was supported by my ex now ex-partner so it's a very different life to you know being supported by someone and then no longer having that and I obviously have a very supportive family who are helping me get back on my feet but yeah there's a drive there that it's just this has to it's me I'm responsible for the bills and Arlo and yeah yeah and that really sort of is yeah. a good motivator. Yeah. But also, um, I guess, you know, we talked about whether you would ever go back to a sort of regular paid nine to five job. And mm. um, and I guess you're prioritising Arlo as well in that respect and, and wanting to have that flexibility with your own business. Yeah. So that is the beauty of, of my business is that it is flexible and that right now works very well with a small human. Um, yeah, I couldn't imagine, I think life would be harder going back to a nine to five and having the, the strict, having to be somewhere else nine to five and dealing yeah. with a small kid by myself. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And what's in the future for Kate Hurst House? Well, um, I'd like a holiday because virtually every holiday I've tried to plan has been COVID cancelled, including my last one and just recently. So a holiday would be nice. Um, in terms of the business, it's just growing the education side of it again um, and, you know, producing, continuing to produce more work and developing my work and, yeah, growing the business and showing up for the business and, yeah, yeah. making it a successful little business. Which I'm sure you will. Yeah. And I, I feel like you're going to sort of – go in all sorts of directions with your business and, you know, try all sorts of different things and, and it's going to be a very successful Kate empire. He's hoping. Absolutely. <laughs> He's hoping. I believe that yeah. 100%. And, I'm, and I have like, you know, there's like the big vision, you know, and then it's my, my business coach has been helping me break, break that down into bite-sized chunks and just work towards each of those goals because I'm someone who can kind of be like, oh my God, I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do this and get super overwhelmed and then kind of freak out and then think I'm never going to be able to do any of it. Yeah. So she's helped me break them down and just slowly work towards each goal and very much baby steps. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, which is a great way to look at it. Yeah. And just kind of prioritizing certain parts rather than trying to do everything yes. not so well. Yeah. Yeah, it's great advice. Oh, well, Kate, it's been a pleasure meeting you, you and too. having you out here at Muriwai. So it's such a dream morning. And I the know. view, like, oh, so nice. Yeah, it's such a treat. <laughs> it's, it's another gorgeous experience on the podcast. Yep. So thank you very much for joining us. You're welcome.